point. That's what the G file is about today. So. The Forever War? No, about no. perfidious neocons. We never went away. Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast for the last podcast of this wonderful, glorious year. And we're doing something special uh, because Muhammad couldn't come to the mountain. The mountain went to Muhammad. We wanted to do, as I said last week, a pop culture sort of year in review, you know, kind of thing. And we couldn't make it work with the studio. So I came all the way out to the country. <laughs> I'm here in, uh, in the lavish, I have to say, studios of the Roslyn Free Beacon. Whoa. <laughs> um, and, um, and because there was a little news in the last, uh, 24 hours, uh, we've dragooned, uh, not only, uh, Sonny Bunch, but Matt Continetti, the editor in chief. Is that the title? Editor in chief? Editor in chief. Of the, uh, Roslyn Free Beacon. I mean, I just, the thing is, it's, you're not in Washington. You got a great view of Washington, but this is like, well, we, we were in Washington. You know, yeah. I don't recognize Washington's, uh, existence. It, well, Washington's session or cessation of territory to Virginia. Because where we are right now in Roslyn used to be part I of know. the District yeah. of Columbia. And I, I, no, I know, I don't recognize the transfer of property to You think Northern Virginia should be put back into DC? Yes, why not? Okay. I do too. I, well, or, I've long thought that the answer to the D.C. statehood problem, which is not a problem, is retrocession back to Maryland. Make, totally. Then you get two Maryland senators from the county of Washington, D.C. So really, we're we're coming to you from Maryland today. In a weird, if you we, go back far enough. We should be. We yeah. should be. <laughs> Normatively speaking. Um, all right, so we're going to do a little rank punditry with, with Matt for um, a little bit. Uh, Sonny. Who is somewhat uncomfortable with rank punditry? Uh, I I just I I don't like to talk about things I don't know. You're, I only, you're you're on the wrong yeah, freaking town. I, 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 I only know I only know about movies and uh, comic books. So okay. Oh, before we get started, um, I want to give a gift, a christening gift, to Ooh. the cast of the new Sub Beacon podcast. Oh. So this is for. Uh, well, I'll give it to you and how you distribute it to your <laughs> show mates. Oh, excellent. Some, excellent. Wow. Some bourbon. Very nice bottle of Jefferson's Reserve. Yeah. Uh, so there you we'll go. Save that for drink of the week. Um, of the week. So anyway, uh, Matt, things are going great, huh? <laughs> well, how's, your, how's your president doing? My, pre- <laughs> my president's had a very rocky uh, couple of weeks. You know, I've been thinking about this, Jonah. I do believe some. I, I hate it when pundits talk about moods because uh-huh. you can't, you know, empirically determine a mood. At the same time, I do think some mood has shifted in the weeks since the uh, midterm election. And uh, my write and writer colleague, Aaron Maga Harrison, explained it to me actually. Uh-huh. Okay, and he said this is the first time that there's an L in Donald Trump's column, a big L with the midterm um, election, forty seats lost to the Democrats, and yes, it feels nice uh, to expand the Senate majority by two seats, but at the end of the day, the, the transfer of control to the Democrats uh, in the House of Representatives is going to be a major shift in the power dynamic in Washington, D.C. So that that began in November, and what we saw in the week since November is that President Trump uh, not only 
has a, has a moved to adapt or to triangulate uh, or to recover or even expand his political coalition in the aftermath of this midterm defeat. But he seems to be uh, moving rapidly to kind of removing any of the constraints uh, on his on his uh, on his conduct or even on his domestic and foreign policies. And so that's brought us to the last week where we've had this kind of uh, uh, surprise announcement of the withdrawal from Syria, the uh, move toward a government shutdown that may be imminent with no real exit strategy on the part of the Republican president, then the resignation of Secretary Mattis, and coupled with an announcement of um, a partial withdrawal, probably leading to a full withdrawal of our troops from Afghanistan. So uh, Trump is in retreat politically. Mm -hmm. America is in retreat in the world. And that leaves uh, conservatives like me uh, very distraught. Yeah. I I thought you were going to say that Aaron Aaron Harrison was explaining that this was the natural kind of convulsions and stress a system goes through when it endures so much winning. Well, right. Well, that, yeah. I mean, I'll leave his, Aaron actually has a great rope-a-dope explanation <laughs> for the Syria strategy. He, he believes we're removing our troops from Syria in order for the situation to get so bad that we then have to move in with overwhelming force and regime change. And something tells me that that's, that's not going to happen. Sort of like using the Kurds like in bear baiting, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, kind of draw them out. Right. And like then, in Jurassic Park, where they right. they tie a goat to a stump, right? And then yeah. the Turks come in and murder thousands of Kurds, and then we have yeah. the train. Well, if T-Rexes beheaded goats instead of eating them. Right, yeah. right. There okay. is something to that, right? Because the big risk of us leaving uh, Syria, where we've been um, with very light uh, footprint now for uh, about four years, uh, is is that history will repeat itself. And exactly what happened after America withdrew from Iraq in 2011, which was the reconstitution of al-Qaeda in Iraq in the in the birth of the ISIS movement, is this going to happen again? Because once you release the, uh, the lid from the pressure cooker that is the Middle East, all the bad things in that pot come boiling out. All right, so last night, for um, various and sundry reasons, I started making this bet which I'm just going to lay out on the air, so to speak, here. I think that in 2020, I'm not going to give you the reason, because I don't know what the reason is. I'm taking the field of potential reasons. But that come election 2020, Donald Trump will not be the Republican Party's nominee. And uh, so that could be everything from meteor strike to canceling the election to uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, no longer being on this mortal coil, uh, to him resigning so Pence can pardon him. It could also be, I think the most likely scenario is that he actually looks at the numbers for his reelection and decides that he doesn't want to lose. So, and people say, well, you know, including some people in your own office when I was floating this earlier, uh, they say, well, he doesn't like to lose. He can't, he won't back down. He wanted to run in 2000 and he backed down. He wanted to run in 2012 and he backed down. Um, he backs down when he thinks that will be the more plausible way to claim he's winning. And if he says he's, he's the classic, I meant to do that guy, <laughs> you know, um, when he makes a mistake. And so I think if you look at the numbers now, the Democrats could still blow it, right? They could nominate some monstrosity and the collective action problem of 5,000 people running for the Democratic nomination makes that much more likely. So I still think that's a possible scenario. 
but if if they elect a generic Democrat, I don't see how Donald Trump can beat that person. Thoughts, comments? Uh, well, that's uh, clearly the case according to the polls today. You know, first thing I always go by my guru Fred Barnes's mantra that the future in politics is never a straight line projection of the present. If it were, then uh, Trump, uh, I mean, is headed for a total disaster because the past couple weeks, and e- indeed, like I was saying, since the midterm, has it's just been very bad for for him politically and personally and legally and in, in every dimension. Uh, so what might change that dynamic? He would have to change his behavior. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, or, uh, as you point out, the Democrats might royally screw it up. They are good at that. They are good at that. They have a gift. Or the economy goes into even higher gear. It doesn't really look like that way lately because, oh, in that litany of um, craziness happening, I, I think I neglected to mention the stock market right. uh, going into We're total We're on track for the worst December for the stock market since 1931. That's right. Which was not a great year for stock markets. Mm. So uh, maybe the way I'd, uh, I'd frame it is, uh, we have, we have definitely upped the chances of there being competitive primaries in both parties for 2020. Right. Um, and maybe that, that's because Trump isn't running for reelection. Maybe that's because he pulls challengers and we definitely have a competitive election on the Democratic side. One, uh, I do not like rank punditry, but one thing, I, I mean, Trump is still polling at 90% approval. With Republicans, I, I of the people who still call themselves Republicans. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I I have a hard time seeing somebody mount a successful primary challenge, and if you're not going to mount a successful primary challenge against a, a fairly vindictive president, uh, why would you why would you risk it? Well, in part because John Kasich well, is a megalomaniac. Well, because well, the, like I said, uh, future changes, things change. What's the exit strategy for this government shutdown? How does he get out of the shutdown? with the wall and if he doesn't get the money for the wall then we as we've already seen the, a lot of the conservative base is ready to say you failed us right so that means that the hold on the republican vote has the potential to go down right so where he's at with republicans it could be viewed as a ceiling mm-hmm. not a floor and like i said if he's not in the running well then for sure yeah. we have a competitive well, sure, primary right. so um, Sonny's absolutely right. I mean, right as it, as it stands now, Trump's standing among Republicans is higher than um, presidents who have brought upon themselves a primary challenge um, from their own party. People like H.W., people like Jimmy Carter. Um, History's greatest monster. History's greatest monster, Jimmy Carter. Uh, but that can change. That can change. And that can change with the wall. That can change with a, the next Supreme Court appointment that can change with gun policy that can change with tax policy what the lesson of the last two weeks is especially the last 48 hours as we talk here today is we don't know what's going to happen no i agree look i didn't expect any of this from the last few days but the big problem with the as you as you could tell from the the lyrical lilt in your voice when you floated it of Donald Trump could change his behavior. <laughs> is that you know dogs could stop licking themselves? I mean, all you know, there are bears could stop using our forests as toilets. I mean, he's not going to change. No, right. So <laughs> the way I look at it is, you do it from reverse. Every other president we've ever known has tried to expand his coalition while in office. He has done almost everything he can to shrink his winning the, the winning coalition that he had 
which was still a smaller coalition than his opponent's coalition, right? He won the Electoral College by 78,000 votes in five counties. And there's nothing he could do, even if he could change his behavior, that is going to win back large numbers of those suburban Republicans he's already lost. So, and then there's lots of stuff he can still do, as you were pointing out, that could cause him to lose big chunks of his base, right? I mean, we saw this with Ann Coulter. I'm, it's unclear to me whether or not Trump is pulling out of Syria. I, I think the least plausible scenario is that he's listening to Rand Paul. I don't think that's true. I think Rand Paul is telling him things that he already believes. But the question is, who is he listening to more on this this stuff, Erdogan or Ann Coulter? And, I, and that, I, I think, is still an open question. So anyway, I look forward to uh, gloating enormously when I'm proven correct yet again <laughs> on all of this. All right, now you are free to uh, hang out, chime in. This can be a three-way thing. I, hey. I, I have right. <laughs> easy, easy word. Is. Bow, bow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jack will find the appropriate music for that segue, <laughs> and um, uh, Jack is here, ladies and gentlemen out there. He's just uh, not on a mic; um, he's on a pipe. But um, uh, the ostensible original point of of this last podcast of the year was to just sort of do a pop culture review. Um, Matt Connelly is leaving the building because he has no use for culture. Um, and thank you for joining us, Matt. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed by the uh, sort of 1920s style newsroom you've got here. It's good. The teletype machine was a nice touch. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now I can crack a beer and, uh, uh, we can get this thing started in earnest. Sonny Bunch, film critic of the Free Beacon and I believe the managing editor as well. Executive editor. Executive, Executive editor, editor of the Washington yes. Free Beacon. Uh, the nation's Either foremost or second most foremost, however that works. Penultimate. Uh, penultimate foremost. Uh, defender of the Empire. Yes. And Darth Vader. I sure. mean, would you, would you give the title to Jonathan Last? Oh, I, he is the, he's the grandfather of this movement. He's the Emperor Palpatine of this movement. Okay. I'm more of the Darth Vader, the hatchet man. I gotcha. I the, gotcha. Uh, you know. Um, but we don't have to get into all that. We have, Better discu- name. we have discussed that on a previous yeah. episode of this, uh, August podcast. Um, and also the host of the new, as I said before, Sub Beacon podcast. Everybody who liked the substandard, uh, may she rest in peace, should now subscribe as much as they can to the Sub Beacon. Get it back up to at least its uh, impressive niche status. If we, um, if we can get back to the niche that we had before, I'll be I'll be pretty pretty happy with that. You know, as as will I, as will I. Yeah, All right, Sub so. Beacon. Just uh, search for it on iTunes. Sub no Sub Space Beacon. I think Sub Hyphen Beacon also works. Okay, it's a weird name uh, that doesn't really make any sense. But we we like it so yeah it sounds like something you turn on in the hunt for red October yeah exactly you we you just ping ping it one time yeah. you ping the sub one time right and uh, give me one ping all right so uh, how was it as a year for movies Mr Bunch I it's kind of a bad year I thought I I was having trouble putting together a top ten list of uh, movies that I think I will watch over and over again uh, it it's been it's been kind of a weird year now there were there was some good stuff out there and I don't want to I don't want to say that there was nothing worth watching this year but it's been it's been kind of a weird year I have a top ten list here I don't really want to read the whole thing but you know uh, w- one thing that is worth talking about in earnest is the rise of Netflix uh-huh as just the kind of omnipresent media company in everyone's life. I, it's it's very fascinating. Uh, Particularly since it's reading your text messages. Now. Well, yes. It's sliding into your DMs without you knowing about it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's reading all your sex. So if you start getting weird, 
recommendations on the algorithm. You know why? <laughs> uh, but it, 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 the the amount of original content that that Netflix has put out this year is staggering. Yeah, is staggering. I mean, I was just I was looking at the numbers in the in the third quarter. Uh, Netflix put out six hundred and seventy six hours of original content. Wow. Which is, you would have to watch seven and a half hours of Netflix a day during that quarter to consume all of it. Seven and a half hours a day. Now, it's, it's, it, Netflix is weird because it's trying to be all things to all people, right? right? It's not like HGTV where you have 17 different house flipping shows, uh, and, and that appeals to like a very specific part of the audience. Right. They have, you know, they have rom-coms, they have Christmas movies, they've got, TV shows, they've got everything, they've got every uh, all sorts of stuff. So it's it's kind of hard to compare it to any traditional uh, cable network, but it's also much much bigger than any traditional cable right. network. I mean, it, it, it we're, we're talking about nearly a hundred. I, I think they have a hundred million subscribers. I like they're 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 pulling in uh, enormous amounts of revenue, and on top of that, they're getting a lot of venture capital. So I mean, like Netflix's goal is to kill the film industry. It's to it's to crush the studios and to be the first go to option for people's entertainment needs. Uh, I don't know how successful that is. It's hard to judge because they don't release any actual statistics on who was watching what. Right. They like kind of throw out some numbers every once in a while, like the 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 sexy Kurt Russell Santa se- Kurt Russell se- sexy Santa movie, The Christmas Chronicles, like which was almost a direct pander to your text messages exactly well i mean i uh, it's weird that i would tell you know my friends that things i've wanted to see are yeah, yeah. Uh, santa with a with a bushy beard and a red leather duster uh-huh. and then he shows up <laughs> uh but uh but like they they put out you know they'll say like oh netflix users watched 20 million hours of the christmas chronicles that's a useless number what does that mean it does it mean that you know uh, 40 million people watched five minutes of it i right. like what is it you, you you can't just throw out a number like there and expect us to like do anything with it it's, it's nonsense um but that being said uh, netflix also released paid for and released the i think the best movie of the year the new coen brothers movie the ballad I, of buster scruggs i still i've downloaded but have not watched yet you should watch it it's good yeah. if you like the if you like the coen brothers i love the coen brothers it's it is like ur coen it is it is uh like kind of weird and dark and but also very funny and um, poignant in places, but also just weird. Um, so Fargo Miller's Crossing esque. I would say it's, there's there's uh, the, you you have a Fargo Miller's Crossing angle to it, but you also have kind of a raising Arizona zany yeah. feel to it, and you have a there's True Grit obviously because sure. it's six short. It's basically sh- six short movies set in the old west, unified by the old west. Is there any continuity between the six chapters? No. Okay. Uh, well, it, you could argue that the first and the sixth kind of have a unifying theme slash character but i don't really want to get into that the the it is it's great it's great and the fact that you know netflix is out there spending god only knows how much money on the coen brothers to make a uh short film anthology is a good thing right right it's a good thing that that is a thing that uh, i approve of that they're giving alfonso cuaron 50 million dollars to make roma or however much that movie cost you know to get out there and and make a two and a half hour spanish language film about a, a house cleaner in mexico in 1970 like those are the they're doing interesting things with the money I don't know how sustainable any of this is because if you i mean there's a reason they spent a hundred million dollars for one more year of friends on Netflix, because you know what people want to watch? Friends. They want to watch Friends. Yeah, 
They want to watch. They want to watch the thing that they know and the thing that they're they're familiar with. Also, um, a lot of teenagers. What I mean, like I talked to my daughter about that, mm-hmm. and she knew vastly more about it than I did mm-hmm. uh, because it's amazingly popular with a new generation of you know tweens and teens, um, yeah. which I think is probably also very useful for them because if you're trying oh. to train the mm-hmm. viewing habits for the next generation, that's probably that's probably a big. PowerPoint slide in a pitch deck for yeah. venture capital. Yeah. So I, you know, Netflix is a thing you have to think about when you're thinking about the year in movies. I thought it was a pretty good year for uh, totalitarian cinema, or uh-huh. actually anti-totalitarian cinema. So this year, it's out this month, so you won't be able to download it for your many plane flights. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, so, uh, you know. so the listeners know what he's talking about. One of the questions we're going to get to, uh, which I warned Sonny about earlier, is that uh, let's just imagine that you're a middle-aged, hungover um, conservative pundit who is leaving today for a family vacation is going to be on a lot of planes and needs stuff to download. What would he recommend to download? So mm. that that was the reference there, yeah. and we're going to come to that. But anyway, uh, you're saying uh, so. There's there's a movie out this month called Cold War, which is a Polish black and white film set uh, basically in the 1950s, uh-huh. following a, a pair of star-crossed lovers who are trying to make it work uh, behind the Iron Curtain. It's very very good. It's very it's only 88 minutes, which is like one of my primary uh, uh, selling points at this point in my life is like, this movie's an hour and a half long, so it can't be that bad. Right. And even if it is, it's only an hour and a half long. You're, you're in and out. Uh, but it, it, it's, subtitles? But it's very good with subtitles, yes, yeah. unfortunately. I don't like to read while I'm watching movies. Yeah, but, I have a problem with it. But, uh, but uh, also this year, you had a movie out called The Captain, which was about this Nazi uh, private who pretended to be a captain in order to escape the front. And it's very much about the lies we tell ourselves uh, in repressive systems in order not only to to uh, to survive but to thrive. Um, and uh, probably most famously is the death of Stalin. I don't yeah. know if you saw the death. I of saw. Stalin. I like the death of Stalin. Love the death of Stalin, which is set uh, during the death of Stalin and the kind of power struggle that took place in the Soviet Union Union after that. Uh, and is very very funny. It's by the guy who makes Veep. Uh, and in the thick of it, uh, and in the loop, uh, it's very, uh, it, it, it really gets at the absurdity of having to reorder your entire existence to the whims of one man. Like the, 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 uh, the true absurdity of totalitarianism is, you know, two plus two equals five. Right. So I think it'd be more absurd than that. A good movie for maybe some of the contributors to American greatness then. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> they're, they, well, I, they won't be able to see it. They'll be like the androids in Westworld, you know, they won't look like anything to them. But, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the thing about Death of Stalin, cause my, you know, my having grown up so profoundly anti-communist, my inclination is this is not a joking matter mm-hmm. kind of thing. And they managed to maintain the realism of the moral horror mm-hmm. of Stalin while also being funny, which yeah. is a real hard tone to get, you know? Well, it, it has that kind of Brazil sensibility yeah, yeah, yeah. where you, you, you basically, uh, I mean, there's this one great kind of a uh, tracking shot where Beria is going through a, a prison, right? And kind of in the background, you see, uh, you know, guys being thrown downstairs right. and, you know, guys being hit with phone books and yeah, yeah, guys yeah. being executed. And it is, it is, Obviously terrifying and horrible and terrible and dark and all that, but it is kind of funny. It's, right. I mean, it's, it like, the fact I mean, I laughed walking through the Free Beacon offices. Exactly. Well, <laughs> speaking of totalitarian <laughs> horror, yeah. uh, um, 
but uh, no, I, I. So it's been a good year for for those movies. Been a big year for comic book movies. Yes, Jonah. I don't know if you know this, but the only movies uh, studios can make anymore uh, involve superheroes. I've noticed this. I've noticed. But we are both. I'm. You know, this is one of these rare moments where I am on the exact same page as you about Into the Spider Verse. Oh, okay. I thought. So here's my theory, which I tried to float on Glop, but Pod and Rob Long are were never comic book guys. Mm-hmm. You were a comic book guy, sure. right? Right. So the Into the Spider Verse is the first movie since The Incredibles that would not work as live action mm-hmm. because it does something special. It captures some of the magic of comic books that, you know, when we were kids reading comic books, you were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if it was like a, a live action version of this, mm. right? And the CG revolution allowed that to happen and it was really cool. Now we're getting a little tired of it. And you realize after watching all of this stuff, particularly like the grittier stuff on Netflix, like, which I think Daredevil's really good. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, you know, the Luke Cage thing is a little too meandering, but all of those shows could be, uh, half as long. Yeah. This is the Netflix problem. But the live action thing, you actually lose some of the magic of comics that you can get from animation. And there was so much stuff in that that was like, my daughter loved it and she never really read those comics that that was sort of an homage to 70s and 80s Marvel comics just in the the design of it and the look and the mm. feel of it that I just thought was was really great while at the same time being a really just a good superhero movie sure sure uh, i mean it it feels uh it feels a bit like pastiche where you're you're pull- they're pulling from like different varieties of comic book you've got right. your manga and you've got your you know kind of like ultimate style Miles Morales Spider-Man and you've got like the very weird Spider-Man Noir who's excellently voiced by right. Nick Cage. Also but, the nods to the Spider-Man cartoon, mm-hmm. the TV cartoon. Right, right, right. right. I, and you've got like a Looney Tunes character yeah. basically. I mean it, it really it, – it works it, – it pulls a lot of different references together in a, in a, very, in a very good way. I, I, the thing I like the most about it and it, it, it took me a second to get used to while watching it on the screen was that the, the, the screen actually kind of looked like a comic book page yeah 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 from the 1970s or 1980s there the 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 color slightly overlapped in places yeah. and you had kind of a stippling effect right the, to give it a kind of almost a dot matrix printer sort right. of look which i thought i just thought i i I, I, it's not nostalgia exactly, but it kind of is. I yeah. mean, it, it tricked, it triggered a lot of different little yeah, pleasure yeah. nodes in my brain that I was not expecting. I frankly was not looking forward to this film. I thought it was going to be kind of a kind of hacky and yeah. you know, it's basically like the the social justice Spider Man, you know, Spider Gwen and and the Miles Morales Spider Man. And I thought it was going to be kind of kind of lame, but it was. It's really it's really well done. And I I don't know how you feel about the Lego Movie or like Lego Batman. I'm not a huge fan of those films. They're just too self-aware and too in yeah. love with their own kind of like, oh, look at us. We're, we know that we're comic books. And right. like this knows it's a comic book, but doesn't play that for laughs, does it? It just, it just kind of accepts what it is. I, I, I thought it was great. Yeah. No, I mean, the breaking fourth walls and self-referential stuff, a little goes a long way. And if you go too far, you lose that sense that you should be invested in the movie as a movie. Mm-hmm. And, I think one of the, like, I thought the Porky Pig character. Mm, Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham. While very funny, that was the closest the thing got to going too far. Mm. Um, even though I thought some of the lines were really, really funny. Because it was just such a long joke yeah. in the whole thing. Yeah. But um, but other than that, I mean, the, the Spider-Man noir guy 
was fantastic. And, um, and I think one of the reasons why they, they got a little more latitude from the viewer is that when you actually kill characters, you, you're, you're purchasing amount of, of seriousness, mm-hmm. you know, and so by beginning with some deaths, it, 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 you're like, okay, so at least on one level, this is it's treating the subject matter seriously, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but it, but it, I mean, uh, the Marvel, of course, is the juggernaut. I, you know, it's very weird because the Spider-Man properties are all owned by Sony and right. Spider, and they, Sony's actually had a really good fourth quarter. I mean, between Venom, and now Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, their, their whole concept of a kind of Spider-Man expanded yeah. universe it seems to be working out weirdly somehow. Did you like Venom? I did not. But you know what Venom did? It made $850 million worldwide. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't really matter. Right, right. I I liked the last hour to 45 minutes of Venom when Tom Hardy was finally actually Venom. Yeah. Doing Venom-y things. It just t- took forever to get there. It did. I, you know... I saw that with my daughter as well, and we both had the same problem was that it's like they edited out the scene where the Venom alien creature decides to be a good guy. Mm -hmm. You know, they just, that that motivation just came out of nowhere, you know, just in the last, in the third act kind of thing. And it felt to me sort of like, you know, when I, when I'm czar and I get to have my show trials, Mm -hmm. whoever included in the second Terminator movie, the line, now I know why you cry, Johnny, is going to do some hard labor. <laughs> well, that's, I'm sure that's James Cameron. Yeah, I mean, it was just terrible. You're and gonna I, to, You're going to have to pull him off the set of Avatar 27. <laughs> do, you have, do you have good feelings about the future of Avatar? <laughs> I don't have any feelings about the future of Avatar. You know what I haven't thought about in, in 10 years <laughs> is Avatar, since I saw it in the movie theaters. I, you know, Avatar is a fascinating film because it's the highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah. Worldwide, $2.7 billion. Made a ton of money. I couldn't tell you a single thing about that movie other than like blue aliens right. uh, and unobtainium. I mean, I like it is it is it is fascinating how little J-Pod has made this point, but it's fascinating how little cultural footprint it has had on yeah. the consciousness. I just like it, nothing about it has stuck. But we're gonna get three more of them. Um, and what was I mean? What was what was actually interesting about Avatar was that it was a technical revolution. It was the first really good right. live action 3D film. Yeah, James Cameron put a lot of time and money and effort into it. But you know what? Everyone hates now 3D. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants 3D. I yeah. mean, they're they're IMAX. It's funny. I interviewed an IMAX executive earlier this year, and he was like, "Yeah, we're actually trying to step back from the IMAX 3D. We're trying to get studios to send us uh, movies in both 3D and non 3D format to give people." kind of a, a choice of what to watch because people don't like 3D. Yeah. I mean, I it, it, it works on certain things. I heard JVL on the Subbeacon said that Into the Spider-Verse was actually pretty good in 3D. Huh. But the only but the only way it ever works for me is with animation. All the live action stuff gives me headaches. I can't Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't handle it. You know, but anyway, so Marvel's had a huge year obviously. Black Panther's an enormous hit. Avengers Infinity War was an enormous hit. Ant-Man 2 or Ant-Man and the Wasp was mm-hmm kind of not an enormous hit but it was it didn't it's not like it lost money and if you had told me 10 years ago that disney made a much much better deal buying marvel than they would by buying star wars yeah never would have believed it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh but uh, look at where the star wars movies are right now i mean solo was a disaster yeah it, it was actually an okay movie it's not bad but like it just it, nobody wanted it uh and it it did nothing uh um, but also it kind of 
The, and there's still some Last Jedi blowback, I think. I can't remember. Did you like Last Jedi? Nah, not yeah. really. Um, my my problem with Solo was, like, I, I actually think that the, the, the greatest resource of the Star Wars franchise is the original myth of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the actual story. And so that's why I hated the prequels. For, I mean, there are lots of reasons to hate the prequels. But when they started making jokes about their own backstory, the own organizing myths about mm-hmm. it, and... Don't you know we don't have to talk about midichlorians. But um uh the thing I didn't like about Solo is that you know Solo was supposed to be a bad boy. And he was like he was a bad boy for a Hallmark movie of the week bad boy. He was like yeah. a nice kid from day one, and that that's not supposed to be who Han Solo is. And when you fritter away that you know, these characters for that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. at least like with Wolverine Every now and then, he's still like a bad. He's a yeah. good bad guy or a bad good guy. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, and he he kills people with claws. Yeah. You know, and uh, and they made Han Solo into a in, in into a you know like a guy who graduates from Bowdoin College and does the right thing. I mean, I just I, I didn't like him. You milk know, toast. He's yeah. milk toast. Yeah. I like it, uh, there. Everything about that was poorly conceived, and it it shows. I it, again, the movie itself is fine. Fine, yeah, but it like it just it wasn't good or great. But anyway, uh, Marvel, big 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 year. Dis- uh, DC, not so much. Well, Aquaman, you know, uh, it made a lot of money abroad already. It's right? already made three hundred million dollars or something that overseas. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's probably gonna. It, it, uh, I, I haven't looked at the 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 actual numbers uh, for China in a, in a couple days, but I think it's already done over two hundred million dollars there. Yeah, uh, it, it it looks like a big fun movie this is what i'm hearing from people that uh-huh. it is like kind of big and stupid but also fun yeah and and silly and i like jason momoa a lot i do too i like jason momoa a lot i would like him to be a big star um he seems to be having a lot of fun with the movie star thing yeah which is always kind of pleasant to see but i still i haven't seen it so i don't know i can't say for sure if it's good or not um so i have a theory tell me what you think you know one of the things that american movies invented was just narrative, right? Actually telling a story from a beginning, middle, and end, right? Lots of European cinema was bleak and just kind of like hovered over a mood for, you know, an hour, that kind of thing. And I don't know anything about Chinese cinema, right? But it seems to me that some of these big, splashy explosion movies work in some of these other countries because they don't have, the viewers don't have the same expectation of a story. Mm-hmm. And they want scenes with, you know, violence and sex and explosions, and that stuff translates well. You don't need subtitles for it. Right. But, like, the the one of the things that always ruins a lot of these big action movies here is when the actual just story doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're used to the explosions and stuff, but we want character arcs and we want a story. Does that sound crazy to you? No, I mean, I think this is the, the I, I think this is actually kind of the conventional wisdom, right? Is that, that like in, in a place like China, they want spectacle. They want the big, uh, explosion scenes. You're right. I, like there's a, you know, there's, there's a saying that comedy doesn't translate. translate right. Right. So you can't really send the death of Stalin. Well, you couldn't send the death of Stalin to China for a bunch of reasons, yeah, probably, but, probably. but the, uh, but like a movie like that, that is, that is based on wordplay and is based on kind of interactions between people. It doesn't work when you try and translate it to, yeah. to a, to a foreign language, but you don't got, you don't got to translate, uh, an octopus playing the drums, which is apparently a thing that happens in Aquaman. Huh. So, so, um, so it's I, I one of the if not the first then one of the first pieces I ever wrote for National Review was sort of on this 
gosh, 20 years ago about Godzilla, the, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Yeah, sure. Right. Made by the same guys who made Independence the Day. The Devlin Emmerich. Yeah. Godzilla. Yeah. The Independence, Independence Day got a lot of grief from various people around the world because it was like American jingoism and, you know, Israelis and Arabs, you know, playing nice and all this kind of stuff. And so Godzilla, I had, my theory was, Partly the stuff that we're talking about, you know, I, I think the article was called Bayzilla because I was also talking about how Baywatch was by far the most profitable TV mm-hmm. show around the world for sure. a long time. May still be for all I know. But the, the plot of Godzilla, the Americans are the hapless Japanese in that movie and the American military is kind of clueless and dumb and the heroes are badass French commandos who mm-hmm. come in, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, I always, saw it as a little bit of a way to pander to the global audience. They learned a lesson from Independence Day, and they tried to flip the formula so that they could still do the big spectacle and giant lizard and yada, 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 but also quietly kind of make fun of America in the process. I don't know where I was going. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is, so when I lived in Prague briefly after college, it was around the time when one of the Naked Gun movies came out, right? And it was interesting. Like, I liked those movies, but this was like the third, fourth one or something Mm -hmm. like that. And I, you know, I really love the old police squad stuff, but like once you're in on the joke, the visual puns, it kind of gets old, whatever. Czech audiences lost their minds (laughs) with that. And the reason why it was explained to me is that, you know, no one tells Polish jokes anymore, right? But like the, you know, some Canadians tell Newfie jokes and South Dakotans tell North Dakotan jokes, you know, the the archetypal Mm -hmm. dumb person standing, right? They tell those jokes about police officers. Okay. In, in now Czech Republic. Yeah. And, um, and it was sort of a way to be anti-communist without making fun of the party. You're making fun of these like apparatchiks in the street and stuff. And so, because Leslie Nielsen was so dumb in the movie, they thought this was like the most brilliant biting <laughs> satire they'd ever, you know, you're in the movie theater and people like falling out of their seats. <laughs> it was amazing. So. Did you ever see, uh, the documentary Hammer and Tickle? I did not. There's a it's it's but a document. I paid for it. It's it's a documentary about. Uh, uh, Have you been reading my sexts? <laughs> uh, but it's it's about um comedy in the Soviet bloc huh. and like how comedy was used as a tool. Yeah. To keep like for people to keep their sanity and it's actually it's pretty it's it might be on Amazon. I don't know. You should you should try and find it. Okay. But it's good. Can you give us? I mean, I, I you've said that you don't want to read your top ten list, mm. but can you give us a couple things that are on it? I've already given you a couple. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is on uh-huh. it. The, uh-huh. the anti-totalitarian movies I mentioned. Oh, okay. Buster okay. Scruggs. Uh, you know, one movie I really liked that I think is actually hitting HBO this week, uh, maybe this Saturday, is, was Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, Wes Anderson, yeah. Wes Anderson stop motion animation movie. Um, I'm a sucker for Wes Anderson and I'm a sucker for stop motion animation. So like between this and the fantastic Mr. Fox, like yeah. he's really hitting a lot of my uh, pleasure centers. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is, it's, the story is fine. It's kind of about a, it's about a Japanese government that tries to uh, get rid of all the dogs on the island because they're a family of cat lovers. So I, I, this is, I think you, you would enjoy this on, on a You're number of levels. You're speaking to me levels. here. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is just, it is so magnificently crafted. Like uh-huh. as just like as a kind of, uh, dork watching the scenes. Right. Like there's this one scene, uh, I've mentioned this before. There's this one scene where, uh, it's just three uh, Japanese guys playing the drums. Right. 
and the camera kind of spins around so you can see the whole thing. Huh. And I was just while I was sitting there watching it in the in the theater, just like watching and thinking, God, it must have taken a long two long. weeks, yeah. three weeks to get that five second shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that sort of thing really appeals to me on like a just a craftsman craftsmanship level. So I like that a lot. Uh, and like I said, I think it's hitting HBO this week this weekend. So if you have HBO now, is it a HBO Go? HBO Go, yeah. whatever it's called? Um, do you have a problem watching? Movies where you can't take your sort of critic glasses off and, you know, and let, instead of letting that scene wash over you, mm-hmm. you know, you, ha- you're, you have to get some, your brain goes into critical distance mode a little mm-hmm. bit. Do you ever have that problem? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, what I, what I, the, my ethos as a film critic is to try and accept a movie on its own terms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, a movie like this, I think, is very kind of into the craft and all that. But, like, you know, a, a, a movie like Aquaman, say, if I was to go see it, I, I, I think I'd be able if to kind of... you're going to see it, right? Oh, I'm definitely going to go <laughs> see it. I mean, it, just when, when, I, when I finally get around to it. The, I think being able to, like, kind of just sit back and enjoy the nonsense is doable for mm-hmm. me. Now, sometimes the nonsense doesn't work on its own terms, and that's a different problem, but... I wish I had the tweet in front of me. The other day, someone tweeted... What's a movie, I'm paraphrasing, what's a movie that doesn't get a lot of respect out there, but that you will defend as a great or fun movie against all critics? Mm-hmm. What would be some of the ones that come to mind for you for that? Uh, have we talked about Sucker Punch before? Oh, I can't believe I just walked, you walked into right that. right into that, Jonah. <laughs> Jonah, let me tell you about this movie, Sucker Punch. All right, uh, Sucker Punch is directed by Zack Snyder. It's uh-huh. a 2010 or 2011 film uh, about a woman, a girl really, who is sent to an insane asylum because her evil uh, stepfather wants to steal the family fortune. And when she gets there, Oscar Isaac is there. He's in charge of the insane asylum. Uh, and he and it and it it uh it, it the it, the whole thing is just amazing. I I can't recommend it enough. Okay. Any any others? <laughs> uh, there's a movie uh, out this year called Unfriended Dark Web, which got kind of middling reviews, but I think is actually the most terrifying film that has been released uh, this year. It's about uh, it's basically so you know you know the movies. There's like a whole subgenre of them where it's basically you just see people on computer screens, yeah, yeah. kind of interacting with each other. It's one of these movies. And it's about a group of friends who essentially stumble onto a real-life murder game by people who inhabit the dark web. Now, look, the treatment of the the dark web on this in this movie is, I'm sure, going to age about as well as the treatment of the internet in hackers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and 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 movies like that. It's kind of hokey on its own terms, but it it kind of gets at a lot of like very modern and very real fears, like swatting, uh-huh. like identity theft, like the fact that like. Uh, you know, the internet is pretty malleable. You can do a lot of things on it and to it and to people on it. And this movie kind of really gets at that, that, the uh, gripping sort of, you know, what is happening to me out there that I can't see that I don't know about. Huh. What's it called again? Unfriended Dark Web. I don't, I, I think it's on, I think you can get it on Amazon Prime or wherever. I saw one of the movies I actually saw in the theater this year, which was not many, was, um, I can't remember what it's called. But it's about that, um, that I'm just it's drag your memory. Not that I see color or race, but it was about that Asian dad whose daughter goes missing. Oh, yeah. What was that called? Uh, Finding? Was that it? Uh, I, uh, we'll keep figure talking. Keep yeah. talking. Anyway, I thought it was, it was, um, it wasn't fantastic. And I generally find whole movies based on a. Search it. 
searching, searching, searching. not finding. Um, That's the sequel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, found, we found her. We searched. We found. Uh, on that, it's all told. Did you see it? Uh, I have not actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, all the video. I mean, all the images come from like the camera on your computer mm. or a closed circuit camera or stuff on your FaceTime on your phone or from TV. There's no, there, there's no like fourth wall normal camera shots. It's all done with him sort of texting people on his computer and you're reading the texts and all that. And it's clever. And it was, I'm glad my daughter saw it because it like, there's a lot of dad fears in it, you know, about not knowing what your daughter's doing online and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I did not. Eventually, the shtick that that technique was so forced mm. that it kind of kind of got old. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but back on this like movies to defend thing. All right, so I will give you a couple. Uh, I think Digstown is wildly underrated film. Okay, Bugsy Malone I hold dearly. Um, but that's partly, which one is Bugsy Malone? Scott Baio and Jodie Foster. It's about uh, it's musical uh. and uh, it's about sort of 1920s gangsters. But instead of using bullets, they use splurge guns, uh, which like throw pie f- filling into your face kind of thing. And okay. it's sort of a send up of mob movies. But some of the music in it is great. And they're all kids. Well, yeah, yeah. It was Scott Bayo and Jodie Foster when they were like 12. Mm-hmm. And um, I rewatched it with my daughter. It was impossible to get a copy. I had to order one from Japan. Mm. But now I think it's more out there. You know, there are a lot of Coen Brother ones, but people love Coen Brothers. So yeah. I, I, I can't really cite those. I had others, but I'm trying to think. I will defend, you know, to, to my dying days, Red Dawn, the original. Sure. Yeah. And I will curse to my dying days, the remake, but that's a different matter. Yeah. All right. So any other recommendations for those stuff one should should uh, download? Uh, uh, let's see. What one. Just some random person. Yeah. One. One random person. Uh, I'm trying to think. A Quiet Place. If people haven't seen A Quiet Place. Yeah. I liked A Quiet Place. Very good. Um, There's going to be a sequel, right? John Krasinski is working on a sequel. Uh, that is what I understand. Okay, so I assume it's not going to be about the family. I think it's going to be set in the quiet place world. Oh, gotcha. I think it's. I think it's going to be kind of like a, you know, what else is happening? Sort of like the, the West Coast version of Walking Dead. Just yeah, same premise, what, different what, location, yeah. kind of. Yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, if people want to fast forward like forty-five seconds, fifty seconds here. They can. I thought the. That Krasinski, how do you say his name? Krasinski? Krasinski. Krasinski. John Krasinski. Death was a pointless moment. It was not a persuasive that he had to die the way he died in that thing. He had options, but, uh, and that, that bothered me a little Mm. bit because, you know, I'm a dad. I thought it was very touching because I'm a dad Uh and I would like to think that I would be able to, you know, make that sort of sacrifice. I don't mind the sacrifice. I don't mind killing off characters. Mm. I mean, I'm a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, but, um, uh, the actual scenario, I can't remember it accurately enough, was, I thought, unpersuasive. He could have thrown the axe someplace to make a noise someplace else and then dived for his kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it was, like, if you're going to, I think that their emphasis, his emphasis was he has to die and they didn't write to a plausible way for him to die. Because his kids still need protecting after yeah. he yeah, goes. Yeah. And a father... I have no problem with a father being selfless, but if you've been living in that world for a long time, you know that just getting out of this moment does not take away the peril for your kids. Sure. And he sure. had an obligation to stay, try harder to stay alive. That That's was right. my problem. Um, anything you're really looking forward to in 2019? 
Ah, oh, what am I looking forward to in 2019? In terms of movies and um, TV shows, not like weird other stuff. Netflix already knows all the weird other stuff I'm looking <laughs> forward to. Uh, what am I looking forward to? I don't know, honestly. I honestly, I like, I've been, I've been so wrapped up in, uh, in what is happening this year. The, as a film critic, the end of the year is always a very busy time. Right. So I've been, I've been watching a movie a day for the last, you know, a uh, month and a half. Um, what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to, uh, the end of Game of Thrones will be, will be something to watch. I'm, I, 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 here's the thing I like most about the fact that Game of Thrones is ending is that I can really stick it to all those book readers who held over information on the rest of us (laughs) for so long. They thought they were so great with their reading. And they're books. That's Jack Butler. But now, the tea. but now, but now the TV show is what's going to be a canon. So I like that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I assume the, 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 it's what the last season is six episodes yeah. and each one's going to be like an hour and a half or something. Yeah. Like there, I, I hate these long gaps between the shows. I really, I, I feel like I'm totally removed from what has been happening on the show. I mean, I've been watching it for, almost 10 years now, I guess. Yeah. I mean, and I feel, or seven or eight years or whatever, and I, I just feel like I'm kind of out of the loop on it almost. I mean, it's been more than a year since the last, right. the last season, the last half season aired. I rewatched the entire run six, eight months ago mm-hmm. or something like that, you know, and, and had, just had it on while doing other stuff kind of stuff. And it grows on me. I mean, I, I find it, it's, you know, it, I, I, I'm not comparing it to The Godfather, but mm-hmm. you know how like, you can turn on The Godfather at almost literally any scene mm-hmm, sure. and just start watching. And if you're not careful, you're going to watch to the end. You know, um, yeah. I feel that way a little bit about Animal House. I'm, the only spot where you can break away is basically when they're, when they're smoking pot with Donald Sutherland. It's like, okay, I can get out of here because yeah. this is a dumb scene. You know? yeah, yeah. And I find it, you know, it, the last season was, um, had some plot problems and time space problems and all of that. But all in all, I still think it, it really holds up pretty well. I've been enjoying the good place. I'm I one like of these the people. Place. I'm one of these people now who is like into into the good place. Some of the the, the good place fans are very annoying, but uh, I can the, that. but the show is actually really. It's just and it here's the thing I respect the most about the good place is that a it's a 22 minute sitcom. Right, right. If you're watching it without commercials, if you're just you know fast forwarding, and each season is only 13 episodes. Yeah. It, it 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 has it has. You know, for all of the good things about Netflix, as I mentioned, every show on Netflix could be half as long. Um, and most of the movies could probably be about 20% shorter. Uh, and everything that they do is just kind of like designed to try and keep you there for longer and longer, which is fine as a business strategy, but it is not a very good artistic strategy. Right. So I, I've really liked The Good Place. I'm actually kind of annoyed. Again, this is one of these things where like I watched the first two seasons uh, on on demand or whatever, right. and was you know kind of watching them one one after the other, and now I'm watching. I'm trying to watch it live, and it's like one episode every three weeks. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I like I just put them, do them, do them all. Yeah, do them all so I can watch them. Yeah, you. I'm very impatient now. They Netflix has clearly changed your attitudes towards consuming these things. You want to see them all back to back. You don't like the commercials. See, you but know? I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind week-long breaks right like right. when when hbo puts out a show like i watch the deuce right and when the deuce comes out i watch it every sunday at nine to ten and i'm fine with that i'm fine with like having a regular schedule it's these it's these kind of scatter shots yeah, yeah, yeah. you know uh it, if you're going to take a, a break i just want to know how long it is be it seven days or two weeks or one year right not these kind of interminable 
So one question about The Good Place. As you may or may not know, one of my great abiding rage rant things is about how the writers of Battlestar, Battlestar Galactica threw away one of the best sci-fi shows ever made. Like I think the first two or three seasons mm-hmm. of that show were phenomenally mm-hmm. good. They got a look. They got an aesthetic. They seemed to have a plan. Um, well, they kept telling us they had a plan. Well, I'm talking about the writers, right? Uh, you know, they had it was like you know, in Breaking Bad is the best example of of this, where you know Vince Gilligan actually had a plan for mm-hmm. the entire story arc of of that thing. And they for the first three seasons, they seemed to have one. And then partly because of the Iraq War, partly because the fame went to their heads, um, they wanted to do all of these sort of moral parables. Uh, stolen from the headlines kind of thing, you know, and so they had suicide bombers, are they mm-hmm. good, are they bad, moral ambiguity, blah, 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 blah. And they turned the Cylons into these good guys, or like yeah. some of them as, as good guys, right? Yeah. And it became a hot, hot mess. And it turns out that the Cylons, for the first three seasons, they would always say the Cylons have a plan. And then it turned out not only did the Cylons not have a plan, the writers didn't have a plan for what the Cylons' plan was. Yeah. Uh, I could go on about that for a while, but I kind of feel that way about the good place. I still like it. Uh huh. But, I don't envision that, that when they set out that they thought yeah. this is where they were going to be in season three. Well, it is a, I, I was, I was talking to somebody about this, that it, it feels like a show where it, it needs to have a very finite run. And it seems like you actually have like an idea. You could, you could, you could formulate a pretty clear idea for how that run would work. You have a season in what they think is the good place, but is actually spoilers. Right. Uh, right. Sorry, everyone. Uh, what they think is the good place, but is actually the bad place. Then you have a season where they're in the bad place. Then you have a season where they're back on Earth. And then the final season, they actually make it to the good place and they find out it's not as great as they had maybe hoped or right. something. Like that would make sense. And they've, they've, they've signed on for a fourth season. So we'll see, you know, what happens. But no, I, you didn't like the Battlestar Arctica? No, I did not. Uh, I, it made, uh, made me very cross. I kind of did. I, 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 I mean, but I. But you're a monster, so. I mean, well, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But I, I, uh, I actually remember enjoying that. The, where I thought things went off the rails was when a Bob Dylan song became the linchpin of the Cylon yeah. beliefs. Remember, like all along the Watchtower was yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, was yeah. like permeating through their consciousnesses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's when I was like, okay, come on, guys. Let's. Do you like the Last Kingdom? Do I like? I don't know what that is. What is Last Kingdom? What is uh, the Last Kingdom? The Last Kingdom is a fantastic show based on. I can't remember the name of the novels, but I think it's put out by BBC. It's in its third season on Netflix, and I turned David French, uh, colleague at National Review, into a insane fan of it. I turned him onto it. It's it takes place in ninth century England, mm-hmm. and um, it has a lot of the sort of. Game of Thrones political intrigue, the background, but um, it's funny. It's good. It's about you know the Vikings and the 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 English mm-hmm. fighting over ninth century England, and there's some great scenes like the King of I want to say not Wessex, but one of the Mercia, I mm-hmm. think. At one point, murders some the messenger who gives him bad news or something, and his advisor says, "Sire, you can't just go around." You know, uh, murdering your subjects on impulse. This is the ninth century, after all. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's 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 yeah. a great show. It's yeah. a great show. Um, all right. Well, I'm we're running up on the end of our hour here, um, and I know that there's an incredible amount of work you have to do at the Free Beacon. Uh, yes, the last Friday before uh, we we start rolling out our Men of the Year uh, awards. Oh, really? So Can you get a sneak peek? 
uh, I'll say there's a lot of uh, Brett Kavanaugh tangential choices. Okay. Because you're not Kavanaugh himself. Uh-huh. But for instance, just just one, uh, uh, Michael Avenatti for helping ensure yeah, Kavanaugh's yeah. confirmation with his shenanigans uh, midway through. So it's funny. I, yesterday, one of the reasons why I sound the way I sound is that uh, I have this annual lunch with these guys who I've been friends with for 25, 30 years now. And so my first martini yesterday was at one thirty in the afternoon. And um, <laughs> what took you so long? <laughs> and uh, um, we have an annual contest of it's uh, i don't want to be this is a family podcast but so i'll just say the d-bag of the year oh okay and and we have nominees from all over everyone has to present a formal list of, how many people are at this lunch um between uh, one of the guys is seth stevenson from slate okay but he lives in new york now so some years he can't come um but it's all these guys I work with or around for the most part. Uh, so about six of us, okay. something like that. Oh, so it's a it's a lamestream media gathering then. You know, Jonah, no, I mean, Jonah and his sellout uh, liberal friends. Is, uh, that, is that what it is? No, he's the he's a token liberal in the group. Every, oh, okay. everyone else, okay. but everyone else is like they're like people with real jobs, yeah, and yeah, business, yeah. and whatnot now. And uh, <laughs> what's that like? I have no idea. It's it's fascinating to listen to him talk about it. <laughs> and um, like one time, my friend Doug Anderson actually had. Um, who was my first intern at AEI in 1992, he actually had an assistant come and bring the end of the year paychecks and he had to sign them all like he was Clarence Beeks in, in, <laughs> in Trading Places. Another movie that is uh, doesn't quite get the credit. Really? Deserves. I feel like Trading Places is pretty well beloved. I guess. I just It should be beloved more is my mm. view. Favorite Coen Brothers movie? That's such a hard question. Uh, I would... There's a difference between favorite and best. Uh-huh. Okay. I would say their best... Their most profound work is probably a serious man, which I yeah, okay, fair which point. I which I really love. I mean, best is probably, uh, but not the most entertaining one. Sure. No, 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 no. I mean, the most entertaining is either Raising Arizona or The Big Lebowski. Yeah, I mean, that's correct. I mean, I could even be convinced to throw Fargo on that list. I'm not a Miller's Crossing partisan. I know there are a lot of people who think that Miller's Crossing is like the height of the absolute pinnacle of cinema. I will fight you with sticks. I I love Miller's Crossing. I love I I I mean, this is the problem though. Is it like I think it's like a three or three and a half star movie. I think it's a very good film. Uh-huh. I just like, th- I, there are people out there who are like, this is the best Coen brothers yeah. movie and nobody could possibly disagree. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not that necessarily. Um, John Pedoritz, cause he like you is a monster <laughs> is constantly trying to convince me that Gabriel Byrne, you know, the main character mm-hmm. in most crossing is gay and has a thing for Albert Finch, Finney, Finney. Right? Mm-hmm. right. And I rewatch it. Just, it's just not true. It's just I'm not not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's a weird reading. Yeah, I just it's just not true. John Pedoritz is wrong, and uh, I just want to get that out on record because he listens to this podcast, Ooh. and so he'll be cross. Hi, John. Um, all right, so thank you very much for well, I would say for coming on, but actually I came to you. So, yeah, you know, uh, there's that, um, and thank you to the the people at the Rosalind Free Beacon for for doing this. Uh, Jack and I are going to do some various sundry stuff. That's great. So anyway, thank you very much, Sonny. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, if you want to hang around here, uh, you can see I have a present for Jack Butler as well. Ooh. Yeah, which is uh, not – you'll see. Okay. I think you'll like it. Okay. Uh, I think you'll be jealous. Okay, so now uh, Sonny has put on his uh, sort of railroad uh, coal furnace – Stoking uniform, and he is manning the bells and just, whistles. Just cracked there. a beer if you didn't hear it. Cracked another beer. Um, 
to put on the left side of his hat. Yeah. The drinking hat, beer hat thing he has. And, uh, so, um, we're not going to do any more punditry stuff. Um, May I put on my film critic hat for a moment? Yes, you can now critique. You can be the ombudsman. Critique everything that Sonny said in you know, like oh, I would, a couple. Minutes. I wouldn't dare pretend to be an ombudsman when when Biff Diddle could be somewhere in this building. <laughs> it, it, he, he's not here, is he? I hope not. No, I just wanted. I did see uh, Enter the Spider Verse, mm-hmm. and uh, I did like it, but I it rose to the point of quality where I was then able to be incredibly nitpicky about it. Uh-huh. And so I will, if if you allow me. I mean, you can always just stop me from talking. You uh, could always do that. But. I'm uh, uh, I'm going to be like one of the cliched judges from Law and Order. I'll allow it, but tread lightly, counselor. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, man, this is a ch- tough jurisdiction. Um, so I found the. I won't go into specifics since it seems unjust to spoil something so new so quickly, uh, but. I found the third act or the pre-third act transformation of the main character into suddenly like, figuring everything out. Yeah, it was a little rushed. I agree. Yeah, uh, so that that bothered me a little bit. Um, I I th- I thought that the so one thing that's I've I my problem with m- being a critic now in movies is that I I've I've, I've come to understand the three act structure like too well for my own good, and especially when the the trope of the second act beginning at like a house or a resting point and then climaxing there with some sort of first some sort of verbal conflict between the good guys and then physical conflict when the bad guys show up comic book movies do this all the time the first avengers did it uh this movie did it like literally there's a house that they all go to and then all this happens so being like consciously aware of that trope bothered me uh and then i, I probably my biggest nitpick is that I was never really... I mean, there were six spider people in that movie. Mm-hmm. So I was never really that... Well, five and a spider ham. Yeah. Spider beings. Yeah. Six spider beings. Six spider entities. So with all those people... And they were pretty great, especially the noir Nick Cage one, yeah. who was awesome. Um, Sometimes I let matches burn my fingers just to remind me I'm alive amidst the moral ambi- ambiguity of my violence was a fantastic line. I'm sure I got it slightly and, and so was sleep. <laughs> um, but I was never really that worried that, like, the six of them together were going to fail. Uh, and if they had if they had sort of upped the glitching a little bit because the the ones who aren't from that dimension sort of they they had that glitching thing. Mm-hmm. If they had upped that a little bit more to the point where it was maybe unreliable that like you weren't sure that they were going to be able to do everything that they could. But that never they sort of the last time they glitched is when the five of them are sort of minus miles are sort of standing on a rafter like looking at the villains headquarters before the third the climax begins and then there's no glitching of anyone for the rest of the movie. Okay. Uh, so those are my nitpicks. But yeah, that, that, that's, that's pretty nitpicky. But yes, very extremely. But it rose to a point where I could then be like, okay, so what's real? What are the? What could have made this perfect? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was entertained by it. It did things like you said that live action comic book movies couldn't do, even though like they could do them. Like the, the scene when the two. But they wouldn't work as well. They wouldn't be as charming. Yeah. Well, the, there were the scene where the two, where two of the Spider people are talking to each other while sort of walking back and forth along a building. Like, yeah. I don't see why. A live action movie couldn't do that, but it's like in this. In, it works so well in this cartoon because they're just sort of casually conversing, as though it's just no big deal that they're on the right. side of a building, and that, that like things like that just uh, were very charming. Yeah, when you do live action stuff like that, you're you're 
eyes are taken to like the special effect of it. Yeah. And with the with animation, you just sort of take it for granted. Yeah, right? like the it was almost sort of a commentary on the like the special effect of that uh, perspective in the in the first Sam Raimi Spider Man was such a big deal. There's right. like a whole scene showing the wall like moving to the point where it just looks like he's walk or crawling on a flat surface. So like. They the movie would make it a big deal, whereas in the animated form is just like, oh yeah, we're just we're just right. chatting, we're just dudes chatting. You the, might um, say the thing that I'm looking forward to is that if you watch the third, the latest season of Man in the High Castle, the overlap in plot devices is very strong. And oh, speaking of which, it Enter the Spider Verse reminded me a lot of Fringe, which made which endeared me to it. Fringe at the TV show, yes, fantastic TV show, yes, yeah. I I would argue better than X Files. Yeah, I think so. Um, in part because it actually had a continuity arc that they can maintain better than than, than X Files did. But mm-hmm. um, all right, so I want to uh, first of all thank our listeners who stuck with us this entire year. Um, I want to thank everybody for the reviews on iTunes, which are great. We're at like twenty seven hundred and fifty, so we're we're inching up on on three thousand, which will be a magical time. Um, but I also just wanted to take. Um, a moment to do it for uh, for public consumption. Uh, Jack worked tirelessly for me in this last year um, with the book, the book tour, getting everything done. He helped me with my audit. Um, uh, sort of held me down while they uh, snapped on the rubber gloves, and um, uh, and so I wanted to give. I, I have I have some money. I'm going to give him too as sort of a year end bonus because the book did well, and I had a pretty prosperous year with all these speeches and the IRS is going to take most of it away. But that's a different issue. Um, <laughs> but I, want... I should edit that part out so that the IRS doesn't audit me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to give you something more tangent, uh, tangible. Um, so you can open this here if you like. Oh man. Just be careful opening it because you don't want to um... knock the, the scotch over. Bourbon, please. Oh, sorry. No, this is, you know that I don't drink very much. No, I know. I, my, my body's too valuable for that. I wasn't going to give you, I wasn't going to give you good liquor. Um, you want you should probably talk while I open it. Well, yeah, no, so I got the wrapping off, so now, ladies and gentlemen, he's opening the pack. <laughs> okay, it's a book. You've uh, you've you've gotten that much right about me. I, I, I will explain it for listeners. It is an early edition of the. <gasps> oh my! Of J- oh my! Of J.R. Tolkien. Oh, I bet this is going to smell really good. And it is uh, the last. What it's, it's, it's the, the return of the, the king. return of the king, and it is signed by Tolkien. <gasps> What? Yes. What? <laughs> careful, careful, careful. It, oh, man. It's more expensive than you think. So. <laughs> Probably more expensive than I am. Um, wow. So oh, I, wow. C.S. Lewis is equally enthusiastic about this book. Well, that, <laughs> now I'm sold. Uh, so, now I'm going to smell it. Can I do that? You can smell it. You can smell it. Is, it, is this weird that I like the smell of books? Um, well, reasonable people will differ on this question. <laughs> Oh yeah, it smells yeah. like it just came from the basement of like an Oxford library. Yeah, well, I did, I did have to order it from England. Um, oh yeah. So mm, anyway, I just Thank wanted you. to be on. Rec- I know I give you a lot of hard time on the show, and in you know, I literally was in one place on the book tour where somebody brought a choke collar to for me to give to Jack Butler, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, which was weird for me to bring back on a plane, um, but. Uh. Uh, but anyway, even we, I mean, you didn't even have, you didn't have to wear it. That that made it a little weirder. That's true. But uh, um, but anyway, don't be mistaken. Um, when we come back in the new year, I will again treat you with the 
disdain and, and, and contempt that you deserve. Um, and, that yeah. our, and that our listeners frankly expect. Um, right. but anyway, I just wanted to say thank you on the record and, uh, um, and I appreciate all the hard work you did. So thank you. You're, you're, there are worse bosses out there. Big, if true. All right. So <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again to listeners and we will be back with weirder and, uh, oh, we had a, someone, someone on Twitter was complaining that they convinced a liberal to listen to this podcast because it was a great sort of wonky public policy podcast. I guess. Oh, had, and they did the last episode. And then they, Oops. so they, they, they told them to tune in for the, the last episode, which begins with like 15 minutes of bare, Bigfoot erotica. You almost said I almost barefoot said it, again. I know, you make I me nervous. I don't so. want to know why you keep saying that. Uh, barefoot erotica is a completely different <laughs> genre of erotica. Overlapping. Big, Bigfoots rarely wear shoes. Big feets. Big feet. Right? Singular. Anyway. Proud feet. All right. So this is the kind of content that people come to expect on this 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 amazing. Sunny's podcast. getting a firsthand view. People don't really don't often get to see like this. Usually, it's just us. That's true, and I think most people are better for it. Yeah. Well, um, Sunny was already. All right. Well, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, fantastic Kwanzaa, um, and uh, we will see you next year. Uh, no, you want this podcast. Natural organic I'll conversations. Yeah. All right. You're going to want to be a little bit closer to the mic. They're yeah. they're uh, they're great. Okay. Yeah, you can pull it towards you too. Okay. Hug the mic, Joe. Eat the mic. Eat the mic. There we go. That's the sexy. That's the sexy voice. Luke, I am your father. Uh, now this I keep. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> it's gold. All right. Okay, we're done. <laughs>